Well, hey everyone, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church. We're so glad that you joined us today. Um, we want to make this as interactive as possible. We know that we are obviously not all in the same room together, but it's okay to make this two-way, so feel free to give feedback, to comment. If there's a particular point in the message or throughout this, uh, uh, this service that you really like, that stands out to you, put a heart or put one of those like thumbs up emojis. If there's something that you don't like that you disagree with, you can put a thumbs down. Or if you're getting bored, you can put one of those falling asleep ones. We just want to hear from you. We want to make it fun and interactive with you. Uh, this week, I played Monopoly with my wife, and it only took a global pandemic for us to finally pull out that game that we got from our wedding years ago. <laughs> um, does anybody have a favorite Monopoly piece? Mine is the old car, the old-fashioned like buggy car, like the old-school stock car thing. Uh, my wife and I played it, and we realized very quickly, we hadn't played in years together, that we have two very different strategies. My strategy is to try to lock down two or three monopolies and go all in with them, build houses and hotels and basically set up like different, I call them doomsday spots that if you land on it, and like all of a sudden you owe me a thousand bucks for rent and it just destroys all of the like finances that you made in the game. Her strategy is different. Her strategy is to buy everything she lands on. <laughs> Maybe that's you. But as we started to play the game, we realized that she was playing more defense and I was playing more offense because I would buy two of one Monopoly and then she'd just buy the other one and hold on to it. And I'd try to negotiate with her and I'd try to say, okay, I'll give you uh, New York Avenue and 200 bucks for Indiana Avenue. And she wouldn't do it because she knew that it would give me a Monopoly. So it just went back and forth. It was kind of this standstill. But then something happened in the game I did lock down a few monopolies, and I was able to build those spots, and she did land on one of those finally. She landed on it, and all of a sudden, she owes me like $925 in rent. Then all of a sudden, the negotiation changes, the conversation changes. And now, now because she's desperate and because she's in some financial crisis because of my monopoly, now she's willing to make a deal with me. And not only that, because she owes me money, is like I'm able to actually get the property from her. It's funny how like when crisis hits, all of a sudden our options open up. The things that we were, were no to before, uh, we, out of desperation, we're a little bit more open to them. And, and sometimes when crisis hits, that's, that's exactly what happens in our lives. Even outside of the game of Monopoly, we see that happen, that an unexpected curveball or crisis or desperation moment comes and you open up your options. And, and, and the things that you said no to before, you consider. Sometimes God's nudging us to do things over and over and over that we're closed off to, that we, we shut down quickly over and over and over again. But then a crisis comes. Then desperation mode kicks in. A curveball comes and things change. We become open because we need to. There's been a lot of curveballs that have come in to all of our lives the past few weeks, and there's curveballs that have come into your lives way before this, and those won't stop. We, we don't have baseball right now. There's no sports. This past Monday was supposed to be opening day for 30 different teams that were supposed to lace up and play their first game. It didn't happen. A curveball was thrown into the mix. Anybody miss baseball? Put like a, a frown face if you miss watching baseball right now. Or put a, put a thumbs up if you're really glad that your family is not stuck to the TV watching baseball right now. The fact is life is going to throw you curveballs. 
right? It's going to throw you curveballs. Unexpected things will happen because life doesn't follow a script. Tragedies will come. Unexpected events will come into your life that you did not see coming. That is life because life is not in our control. And even though God doesn't necessarily throw the pitch our way, he can use it to move you forward towards something new. So what if God was able to use a new crisis in your life to bring you to something new, a new opportunity or a new initiative or a new relationship, a new calling? We're going to look at a story that you're probably somewhat familiar with, the story of Jonah. A lot of us have heard of him, whether you grew up in church or not. He's the guy with the fish, right? That's what we know about him, and it almost seems like this goofy fairy tale But it's so profound, the message in this story, and it actually actually sets up the Easter story that we'll be talking about in our next service on Easter weekend. And here's what it says. It begins in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. We're just going to jump right in because Jonah jumps right in. It doesn't waste any time with like an intro. It's just the first verse. It lets you know exactly where the story's going. Here's what it says. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So the story starts with this conversation between God and Jonah. And he says, Jonah, I'm calling you to something new. And this is a unique calling because he's calling him to a city, Nineveh, which most people don't know this, was the largest city in the world at the time. It was the Assyrian capital, the capital of the Assyrian empire. It was an important cultural center. It was the most influential city in all of the world, this great city. It would be like the equivalent of New York City today. It'd be like if God came to you, he says, Jonah, Bob, Karen, Gertrude, whatever your name is, Lars, I'm calling you to go to New York City, to go right into the middle of it, and to proclaim my wrath on the city, to say, because you've been disobedient, God's wrath is coming. What would you say if that happened? Absolutely, God, I surrender all to you. No, probably not, right? And that's exactly how Jonah replies, how many of us would. He says in verse 3, Jonah got up and he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and he went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So a lot has already happened. We're only three verses into the story, but a lot has happened. God tells Jonah, I have this huge call for your life. I'm calling you to do something new. I'm calling you into a new season. Some of you are feeling that right now. There's something new coming for you. I'm gonna use you, Jonah, to be my voice in the most important, most influential city in the world, Nineveh. You will call them to repentance. It won't be easy. It'll be really uncomfortable. It's going to stretch you, but I've chosen you. What I learned from this is that calling trumps comfort because for for Jonah, the only way he would be willing To follow after what God's calling him to do is to put his comfort to the side. That God's call in your life puts your comfort on the back burner. In fact, most of the time, you have to choose between God's call or comfort in your life. When I look back at my life and the different things that God's been leading me towards, it was never something that made my life more comfortable. It was always something that stretched stretched me so that more people could be reached, so that God could work in a bigger way. 
so that somebody's life might be impacted in a new way. It means, it means putting my comfort over here so that I can chase after what God's trying to do. God's call, it's not this booming voice from heaven that a lot of times when we think of like the movies and we think God called me to do this or God said this to me, God spoke to me. It's not like how we think of it. It's not how the media portrays it. It's not how movies show it. Like to me, God's call in my life, when I felt like God's lead, led me to something, it's not like this conversation like we see between Jonah and God. It's here. It's subtle. It's in my heart. It's God stirring my soul, God igniting a flame, God giving me like a passion for something. You want to know what God might be calling you towards? Ask this question. What is your spiritual burden? Like, what's the thing that your heart keeps going back to? What's the thing that just, like, you can't stop thinking about it. It keeps you up at night. As Popeye used to say, like, whenever he saw an injustice, he'd say, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. I don't know if you guys remember watching that as a kid, but, like, it's that idea. Like, what's the thing for you? That's a little different for each of us. We all have a little different spiritual burdens. To me, that, that's the first step in helping to determine what is the calling that God has for you? What is he stirring in your heart? That could be a specific person that you see making bad decisions around you that could be an opportunity to make a difference something that's been in the back of your mind that you've been kind of playing around with for a while that you've been dwelling on it's, it's the things you dream of it's it's what keeps you up at night it's that specific passion that God has given you to make a difference in the people around you what's your burden I started to follow Jesus when I was uh, in high school, 16 years old, and it changed the way that I looked at the other students around me in my school. Not like in a judgmental way, but I just started to view them as, as God's children, that God created each of us to have this relationship with him. And I just noticed how few students in my high school had any kind of relationship with God, probably like less than 10% maybe similar to the kind of school that you grew up going to. And it broke my heart because the things that I was able to experience with God, the kind of relationship that I had with God, I wanted the other students in my school to, to have as well. And, and I would go to church and I'd go to like my youth group and, I, and I'd sing the songs and I'd listen to the messages and, and it, like I'd, I'd have this really impactful, like life-changing season of my life that God's just working as this brand new Christ follower. But I was kind of burdened because at the same time, I just kept thinking about how I wanted them to experience that too. Like, do you guys ever have an experience like that where the whole time you're thinking, oh, I wish my friends would, could, could find this too? Or you ever have like an amazing meal where you're like, oh, it, like once you taste it, you're like, I got to tell my friends about that. For me, it was like, I've got to tell my friends about God. And so like, as I prayed about this, uh, I realized that a lot of my friends, they probably weren't interested in coming to church with me. Like, that was a little bit of an intimidating invite. And so instead, I thought, what if I could try to bring it to them? And so after spending a lot of time talking with a few friends, uh, myself and three other friends decided to start a campus ministry at our school. As a, as a pale, chubby senior in high school, uh, I started this campus ministry on Wednesday mornings that met in the gym of our school. And, um, and after a lot of prep, um, like, we, we gave flyers out. We put flyers on all the cars and, like, we were kind of shy with it. Like, we didn't, you know, very few people are totally comfortable just talking about God in their high school, and we were no different. And so we tried to invite some people, and we, we really wanted them to know about God, but it felt awkward, and it was, it, like, we just, 
like we are torn with it, right? Because we're still high schoolers and we still want people to like us. And so we finally have our first morning, like our big kickoff in the gym. Uh, and 17 students showed up and we were just psyched. And it was 7 a.m. and Switchfoot is like blasting through the speakers. I don't know if you guys know Switchfoot. That was a band that was huge when I was in like high school, college. Uh, and then there, was like, there were like donuts there, Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't know if you guys know Krispy Kreme, but growing up in Tennessee, Krispy Kreme, Krispy Kreme is like, uh, in, in Revelation, it, it talks about the new earth, like the new heaven and the new earth and how things will be even better than we can imagine. That's like what Krispy Kreme donuts, it's like in, in the new heaven and new earth, the donuts will be Krispy Kreme. So we had those, we had everyone there, we, we sang a few songs, and then I stood up in front of the other 16 students, and I just gave like a really rocky, rough, like Bible story teaching because I, I had no experience doing it. And I, I like, it was so, it was like watching American Idol and those auditions at the beginning that you're kind of like, oh, and they're weird and uncomfortable. That's what it felt like. And so a few weeks later, we're going and we're meeting every week. We got like 15 students coming, 20 students. And we're just so excited to bring them in and talk about God. But a few weeks later, I'm talking with one of my friends after youth group, my buddy, Tim, and he's asking me how it's going. And like, it was so hard because while I was so excited about, about leading this and I felt so passionate about it, like, I felt so inadequate and I felt so underqualified and I felt like I'm, I'm not a good communicator. I feel weird talking about the Bible. I, I tried out for my school play and I, I couldn't even make that. Like, I was so insecure. I struggled with it and I kept saying, am I the right person for this? And I wonder if that's how Jonah felt. I wonder if some of you feel that way, where there's something that God might be nudging you towards, and your first thought is, I'm not the right person for that. I'm not qualified to do that. I wonder if that's, God comes to Jonah and says, I'm calling you to go to the most powerful, influential city. You're going to be the voice there. I wonder if Jonah's immediate thought was, do you, me, you have the right person? So he runs. But God's calling, it's not even about you. It's about him. This isn't about what you can do. This is about what God can do in your life. Calling requires the strength of God. If you can do it without God, your calling isn't big enough. It's based on comfort, not on faith. God's calling will stretch you. To me, that's how I know it's from God, is if it's stretched beyond what I could do without him. So Jonah, out of fear, out of uncomfort, out of worry... He fled, and God kept trying to get his attention, so he would turn back. Verse 4, it says, The Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard. They were so desperate, they were just calling out to anything just to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Some of you are really good at sleeping through storms. I'm not. Jonah clearly was. Jonah had fully given up on God's calling at this point. He just went the other way and he fell asleep. Because in his mind, he wasn't the right person. This wasn't for him. So the story goes on and they're going back and forth. And Jonah wakes up and he realizes that God's called this storm because of him. And he tells the sailors. The sailors find out that Jonah is the cause of all this. Verse 15, it says this. Then the sailors picked Jonah up. And threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice, and they vowed to serve him. Remember, just moments ago, they were worshiping other false gods, but they see this one act, and it turns them to God. Now the Lord had arranged 
for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. This seems so casual, doesn't it? Like this idea that this man gets thrown overboard and then a fish just eats him. <laughs> like a lot of us have heard this story before, so we're almost numb to how odd this whole circumstance is, that Jonah is now inside a fish that God provided for him. He gets eaten by a fish and he lived there for three days. Like imagine that you're recapping a vacation with a friend and, and they're like, and then you'll never guess what happened. I, I fell out of the boat and a fish ate me and I was just there for a few days. Isn't that crazy? Like we'd kind of be, we'd stop there for a bit and we'd be like, hold on, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. That's what happens here with Jonah. He, like just imagine the terror of that, of being stuck in a fish. I think a lot of times we get this image that it's like maybe this huge whale and he's just, he can look around, it's like a tunnel, but it's a fish. Like there's no daylight he has no food. At any moment, he thinks he's going to die. He can probably barely breathe. The fish could just plunge into the water and open its mouth, and he's going to drown. Like, just imagine like the anxiety and the terror that he felt for three days straight as the whole time he's thinking, he's not dead yet, but he will be soon. Like, just imagine that feeling. Well, sometimes when crisis hits... We become open to things we rejected before, like trades in Monopoly, or like God's call that didn't seem like a good idea before, but now, when you're stuck in the fish, when you're in the crisis, you're in the rock-bottom moment, and you're desperate, now it's your only choice. And it's amazing how God can use those circumstances to kind of steer our hearts back to Him. And so chapter 2 is Jonah praying this prayer of desperation from inside the fish to God. And here's the very end of it. Verse 7, he says, As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. I'll fulfill all my vows, Lord. The things I said I wouldn't do, I'll do now. Because when you're in the fish, your prayer changes, right? <laughs> like if you got swallowed by a fish, all of a sudden you'd be way more dependent on God. Sometimes we need to go through a phase of complete desperation before we realize how dependent on God we really are. See, when Jonah had other options and he could just hop on another boat, he wasn't dependent on God. But when the fish comes, suddenly he's open to calling. Now that I'm in this fish, well, now I'm open to what I said no to before because I'm desperate. See, God uses crisis to move you towards your calling. God does that all the time. It doesn't mean he caused the crisis, but he allows it because we need moments of desperation. And in those moments of desperation, we see our lives differently. When I'm strong, I'm in control. When I'm weak, I'm not. When I'm strong, I can present myself as having no flaws at all. But when I'm weak, the mask falls off. And then God can say, there, now I can use you. Because we're finally handing over control to him. When I'm weak, that's when God can show off because it's his power, not mine. Verse 10, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. The story goes on in chapter 3. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. Sounds familiar, right? Basically, chapter 1 and 2 of Jonah are just a big circle. 
where Jonah has to go through all this just to get right back to the place that God wanted him to be the whole time. But this time, Jonah responds differently. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. So three days in the fish running from God turns into three days in the city running for God. See, Jonah got over the feelings of discomfort and inadequacy because he realized that if this was something God was leading him towards, it didn't matter how strong he was. It wasn't about him. And it took crisis in his life for him to realize that. I wonder, I wonder if God might be using this season of your life in the same way. For some of you, this is a crisis that God is going to use so that you will be more dependent on him. It doesn't mean he's the one that threw the curveball at you, but it means he's ready to respond and he's ready to help you so that you'll lean in on the calling that's been in the back of your mind for a while, so that you'll finally get over the feelings of fear or inadequacy or or insecurity and choose to trust God because calling takes faith. A question that I have to go back to constantly is this, where am I doomed to fail if God doesn't show up? Where am I doomed to fail if God doesn't show up? Because the fact is, if I can't identify any area of my life that I really need God to show up, then I'm not really living by faith. I'm just living within my own abilities and my own comfort. That's what it means to live by faith. If you're doing everything without God, you aren't really walking by faith. You aren't really living out the mission that he has for you, the calling that he has for you, the purpose that he has for you. Because when we're really living those out, we need God to show up because we're walking by faith and, and he's stretching us beyond what we're able to do on our own. Like when people say, God won't give you more than he can handle, that's wrong. He will. And if you're following him, he will all the time because it's through his power that you're able to get over it. If you can handle it on your own, it takes no faith at all. How is my life any different from somebody who has no relationship with God? So God doesn't always throw the curveballs, but he's like the batting coach who's ready to give advice. A batter who's hitting 400, who's hitting 500, who's just crushing it in life, they don't need a batting coach. They've got it all figured out. It's when the batter hits below 250, when things start to struggle, when he's in a place of desperation, it's, it's then that, that he looks to the coach for instruction. It's in the weakness that we call out to God and ask for his help. That's when we're open to his call. See, I had to realize that for that campus ministry that I was leading in high school. That it wasn't about me. It wasn't about how good of a preacher I was or if I felt like I was ready or if I felt like I was qualified for it. If God was calling me to do it, what he's looking for is availability, is teachability, is humility. God's not impressed with my skill set and that's why he's chosen me in his calling. Because it's not about what I want to do. It's what God, what God wants to do through me. And once I realized that, that ministry started to grow and we started to see more friends come. And it took the pressure off of me feeling like this is all about what I'm doing and what I can and can't do. We really started to see some interesting things happen. At the end of that year, two weeks before I graduated, um, we decided to have like one big final outreach event and just invite our friends. And so we came up with this idea called Operation Cujo. And it was basically like a scavenger hunt in the woods that had these different competitions where whoever completed all six stations that were scattered in the woods wins. And it was the winner gets 50 bucks 
and uh, it was teams of two. And we told all of the regulars that were coming to our campus ministry, we want you to come and we want you to bring a friend who's spiritually disconnected because we're going to do this game and then we're going to have a big cookout in the, this, the guy's backyard who was hosting it. And then I'm going to stand up and uh, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to tell my story. And so that's exactly what happened. So that night comes and we had 50 students from our high school come. And we were so excited that God was going to use this night in a special way. And so we, 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 Operation Cujo goes on, the competition goes, everyone's having a blast and running around the woods. And then we gather up and we have hot dogs. We run out of hot dogs because we had way more people come than we thought. And then everyone kind of has this powwow in the backyard where everyone kind of camps out on the ground. And I stand up right next to the bonfire that we'd made. And I, and like, I'm, I'm going to share the story of how I met Jesus and how they can too. And like, I was terrified. And I was so nervous and uncomfortable because I'd never done anything like that before. But I had to remember that this wasn't about me and it wasn't about my skills. It was about what God wanted to do. To share my story of how I became a Christ follower with a bunch of people that I knew that I didn't want to graduate high school before I gave my friends the chance to do the same thing. And that night I saw 12 of my friends turn and start to follow Jesus. What it took was me getting out of the way and trusting that this was about God the whole time. It was never about me, that I'd become my own roadblock because I was worried so much about if I was qualified to do it or if I had the right skill set to do it and not focus on what God was stretching me towards. It's not about what I can do. It's about what God can do through my availability. So what's your spiritual burden? What's the thing that you're passionate about? What's the thing your heart keeps going back to? Like, what if God's trying to use this season to get your attention? What if this curveball is just one way that you're going to be open to an option that you said no to before? Like, what if God's going to use crisis to lead you to a new calling? Because God might be trying to use this season that way. And those curveballs, they help us to shed off fears and put more trust in God. And as your batting coach, God, he has the answer. I'll tell you what's exciting about this season is I, I can't remember the last time God got this much attention in America. I don't think more people have been thinking about godly things and been looking to God than since 9-11. Like, what if God's using this in a very unique and special way? Like, what if this is a catalyst for something brand new in the church all across the country? Because we're no longer too distracted or too busy with all of the other things that have now been shut down to where now we're looking at the options that we said no to before. Like, I'm curious to see if this generation is going to do something for God that I've never seen in my life. And this is the catalyst for it. So what's God nudging you towards? Who is God nudging you towards? Because if, if comfort's holding you back, God is going to allow curveballs to keep entering to, into your life until you push past it. He's going to keep letting them come through until you realize that it's not about your qualifications. It's not about your comfort. It's about what Christ already did on the cross for you. That's the only thing that qualifies you. Don't be the roadblock that slows down what God wants to do in your life. Because my calling was never really about me and what I can do. It's about what God can do through my life. Let's pray together. God, um, 
Lord, this is, this is such a uh, meaningful story that we read about. And it's not about a guy with a fish. It, it's, it's about all of our hearts, God, that I, I believe every single one of us, there's times for every Christ follower that you put things on our heart that you're leading us towards that we turn and run from because maybe we're scared or maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe it stretches us too far. Maybe it takes too much faith, God. God, I pray where there's doubt, well, can you just give us faith? God, where we're afraid of being uncomfortable. God, give us boldness. Give us courage. God, will you give us a deeper burden for the things on our heart? Use this crisis to help us grow closer to you, God. Use this curveball to help us to look at the things that we did say no to, that we might go back to, and out of desperation, say yes to. God, I thank you for this short story that reminds me of how often you want to get my attention and how sometimes if I'm running from you, you're going to put things in my path for the sole purpose of getting, of getting my attention so I'll turn back to you, God. So give us faith, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.